Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. I want to introduce today our speaker this morning. Dr. Gladstone is, um, he's just a giant in the faith in my eyes. Uh, When Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, um, this is the guy that I look at. Not to be like Dr. Gladstone, but to to uh, to watch him follow Jesus and go, I want to do it like that. Amen. And uh, he loves this church. Uh, he loves you. And I believe God has put something on his heart for this morning. And so would you please welcome to the pulpit at Church at the Army, Dr. Robert Gladstone. Thank you, Chester. Good morning, everyone. Uh, you can call me Bob. By the way, that's my name, so that's cool. (laughs) I want to wish you a happy birthday. 100 years is a phenomenal accomplishment. You don't look a day over 95. (laughs) Uh, It's amazing. I I really, really do love you. I, I commend you for being such an awesome church. I'm always struck by the spirit of worship when we're together and worshiping. Uh, This morning was particularly uh, uh, significant to me. I felt uh, some tokens of what I feel the Lord has for you just through my own encounter with the Lord while among you because I think it had to do with him working in you in terms of what I felt. You know, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And I'm just really believing that the Lord intends to reveal himself to you in ways that you cannot imagine. There's a lot of lingo in the charismatic world about encounter and presence, and it's good, most of it. But sometimes we got no clue what we're talking about. He's just different. He's unique. He's holy. He's king. He's Lord. And when he starts revealing himself in ways because he feels satisfied to share his love with you, it's, it's, just, it's just not what you're going to be used to. So getting a lot of feedback here. Um, I hope you're not recording this because I'm ready to drop this mic. Mic drop early. <laughs> Hopefully that's not presumptuous. <laughs> drop the mic before. Only Jesus can do that, right? He says amen before he says something. So, I do believe the Lord has you marked, and he's got some special things for you. So, what I believe that you are reaffirming today through this whole uh, event that you have, what I feel the Lord doing and what you're doing, you're signing up for something that is absolutely wonderful. You're continuing on with Jesus, you're relaunching, you're, you're reaffirming your commitment I think that's legal to say that. But you really are signing up for something beyond the status quo, beyond what even any of us realizes, because it has to do with Jesus. And he has wonderful intentions for you. It's, it's awesome. It's glorious. It, it, it gives us a reward at the end of the age. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you, go for it. Keep going for it. Go for Jesus. He wants to reveal himself to you in you and through you to El Dorado and the surrounding region. There's great favor on you. There's great favor on this region. Go for it. You know, we don't settle for popular, traditional. Settle for Jesus. Lay before him. I'm telling you, things are coming for you that are, are wonderful. Go for it because it won't always be easy. So I'm encouraging you to go for it. So happy birthday. Congratulations on your transition. That's the favor of the Lord that you are, you know, you sold your other place and you're in this place and debt free and that's phenomenal. So I congratulate you on this great event and like I started to say already, amen. And like I started to say already, I commend you for being an awesome church. Uh, Here and there I go visit churches. It's not the usual, thankfully, but here and there I visit churches that I feel like I'm just going to a conference rather than a church. 
You know, the identity and constitution of the church is my main burden in life after the, a revelation of Jesus himself. My standing question is always, what is the church biblically? I don't, don't, don't give me other answers. And I don't care what is, is normally uh, founded as churches. I want to know what the biblical definition of church is, family on mission. And I want to do that. A Jesus-governed, spirit-filled, powerful people that look like Jesus who are family to one another because Jesus is part of a family, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he prayed that we would be one as they are one. That's a standard that should floor us every time we read that and beg for mercy. That we would be the same kind of covenant family that the Trinity is. Anyway, to me, that's reality. And I usually go to churches that are platform leader personality cults. Uh, I sometimes do. <sighs> Sorry to say that. But I really love it when I go to a church. And I'm just by the spirit immersed in people who are family who love Jesus. That, that sincerity and that reality is very refreshing. It's very strengthening. It's the way we try to plant churches back at home. I beg God to let us do that. And so I really deeply appreciate coming among you all and feeling that, feeling church rather than conference or put on a, merely put on a service or whatever. So I commend you for that. I'm going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 16. I may have preached from this passage before. It would have been the first time I was with you. I don't remember. <laughs> Uh, but it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm doing it again today. I'm sure some of it will be different. This is a foundational passage to me. It's where Jesus plants the seed of the church, the church. So I felt it appropriate to read and speak from this as you're relaunching. You're recognizing, as you should, a, a continuity with a very precious past of course, much of it we don't know. It wasn't recorded in earthly history books, but who knows the prayers that were uttered in this city in a church that ultimately bears this name in its 100-year history. Prayers that were uttered, tears that were shed, disciples that were made, the poor and the widow and the orphans that were touched, and the prayer meetings and the harvest of souls. I mean, who knows all the glorious things. We know some, but who knows all the things that are recorded in the Lord's book and the tears recorded in his bottle that were all shed prayerfully in this city in the continuous history of this church. You're recognizing that, and that's precious. I also appreciate the fact that you're moving forward. You're relaunching. You're saying, look, we are a church. We have a history, but we're also recognizing something new. There's something fresh in the air, and there's something that God is, is calling us to and asking us uh, to step into, and you're saying we're going to go for it. So I appreciate that, and I feel like this text is appropriate to that because it's where Jesus laid the foundation of the church. So it's always appropriate to go back to that place and draw out some, some principles of, of what constitutes the church and what what makes the church to church? And Lord, what are you saying to us? Because we're the church here. We have a history, but we're moving forward to something new. The psalmist said, I've sworn and I've confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. He's saying, once upon a time, I made an oath that I would give myself to you forever. That I will be an obedient covenant keeper. I pledge my life to you. And then I've often since then confirmed that oath. I've done it often since then. I made an oath to you. And I'm going to keep that oath. When we're baptized in water, we swear to God. We give ourselves to you. We're dead to everything else. We're alive to you. We've sworn... I don't know if you realize that. Baptism is not just symbolizing a few things, though it is. It's an oath. Peter called it the, 
not, not the washing of dirt and filth off the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. And that word appeal means to, to make an oath. It's not just an appeal. It's an oath. It's a marriage. It's a covenant. And we do that once for all. We die and then we live to Him in that baptism. And then we do the Lord's Supper as a confirmation peppered throughout our history. You've made a covenant with us and we're affirming our covenant with you. You are our God. And we are your people. We do not serve the gods whose names are uttered by the nations. We don't serve their gods. And we don't lift up the cup to their gods. And we don't offer libations, drink offerings, and food offerings to these gods. We offer ourselves to the one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that is part of what God is calling us to reaffirm today. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this significant, this momentous occasion that is actually indeed this morning marked by the very presence of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for our history. We're thankful for this present moment. We're thank you for the future into which you are calling us. We are grateful. We are before your throne. We are pausing and giving thanks yet again because you're good to us and you're faithful. And you've constituted a people around your son Jesus that we might bear a strong family resemblance to him. And it is our privilege and it is our honor to be his people and to have his spirit that we might look like him, that we might share his divine nature and bear his character and speak his words and do his works on the earth that the church might be built in Jesus' name. We are grateful for this privilege that all the saints share and we're, we're grateful for what you're doing in our midst in this city and in this moment. Jesus, we right now fix our eyes on you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the vine into which we branches abide, remain, and find our life. You are the King and Lord before whose throne we bend our knees. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah whose roar causes even us, your friends, and your siblings to tremble with a holy fear. And you are the good shepherd who then comforts us and heals us and guides us down the paths of righteousness. You are the king of all kings and lord of all lords. You are our everything. You are supreme in the universe. You are supreme in our affections. And we love you. We yield ourselves to you. We pledge ourselves to you. And we thank you. And we are in awe of you. One day you will sit on a throne and every single solitary human being who ever lived will surround you like millions of miles of, of wheat fields surrounding you and bowing before you and confessing, some out of loyalty and some out of absolute compulsion, you are the Lord. And there is no other. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You are the one. You are the one. We worship and adore you. We want to be like you. Bless your holy name. Amen. By the way, I also want to thank you for inviting me to this precious time. I'm more honored than I can say. I've been looking forward to it and have been nervous about it because I'm so honored. I also want to thank you for standing with me in my uh, long illness. I'm coming out of it now. Um, you've prayed for me, and you have uh, helped me a bit financially as well uh, through that and the burden that it caused, and I'm eternally grateful. I could not have done it without you. Uh, Chester sent me a text early on in that um, long wilderness I was in. That's why my hair looks the way it does. Some of you may remember my hair didn't used to be this long. I didn't even know I had this much hair, but um, 
I've just been in the wilderness, and I felt when I went to cut it one day, the Lord said, no, you're consecrated to me, at least during a season, and so that's a mark of that, but you've been with me in that season, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you for standing with me. Thankfully, also, I'm coming out of it. Anyway, thank you. I'm not all the way out, but I'm getting there. So here we go. A hundred-year sermon for a hundred-year birthday. Just kidding. (laughs) Actually, I shouldn't joke that way. Uh, Matthew 16, right? So the Pharisees and Sadducees come up to Jesus. They're testing him. And they ask him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather because the sky's red. And in the morning, you say there'll be a storm today because the sky's red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? I want to pause there and say this is an important thing for us to recognize. In fact, we're going to pause. We're going to fast forward just a moment. You know where I'm going in this text. Let's look down at this statement in verse 18. We'll come back to it again. But go down to verse 18 and let's just hold in front of us where we're going. It's, it's this declaration that was historic in about the year whatever, 32, 33 AD, somewhere in there. And it's spoken again today. It's revived prophetically, freshly for us. December Second, third, 2023. Verse 18, speaking to the one who stepped forward, of course. I say to you that you are Peter, you are Petros, and upon this rock, this Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This is our promise, and this is our our statement, our theme for the morning. Jesus says, I will build my church upon this rock. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So this is where he's going. This is the first time that Jesus ever mentions the word church in our records, in our four gospels, ever. This is it. This is the first time. And it's one of a handful of the only times he ever says the word, according to our records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He does not use the word frequently. He says it once here, first time, and twice more in Matthew 18, two chapters later, because this is the section in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is teaching about the church, and he's establishing the church, and so he mentions it first time here, and then a couple more times in Matthew, and uh, excuse me, chapter 18, and that's it. No other times. He doesn't mention it much. And so this is important. This is the first time the word is uttered. He used the word less sloppily than we do. He didn't throw it around. Church this and church that. Buildings and signs. Denominations. Different sorts of assemblies and organizations. He didn't use that precious word in Greek. It's ekklesia. In Hebrew, it would be kahal, which is actually related to that word. You hear the the, the sound of the word call in there. I do believe our English word is actually related to that Hebrew word. It's it's just not a word he threw around the way we throw it around much because they're his people. It's it's, it's unique to him. He takes it very personally. I mean, how much more personal can you get than this man Jesus calling himself the head and we're the body? So together we're one new man. That's pretty personal. It's very intimate. We're his body. See, he's very, very jealous of this word and its corresponding concept, and more importantly, the the actual definition, the constitution of the people who make up this word called church. He's jealous of the word. He's jealous of these moments in your history relaunching a church. So he says, you are? Well, then listen to my words about it. I build my church, my kahal, my ecclesia. 
It's mine. It doesn't belong to various denominational names. Sorry. It doesn't. It doesn't belong to our franchise church names. New Testament churches are always named after God and their city or region. Always. They're identified by God himself and then their city or region because of Galatians. That's a region. And Paul spoke to the church of what Corinth is a city and to the saints in the region of Achaia. That's why we have Bible books named Romans and Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You have Galatians, that's a region. You have Ephesus, that's a city. You have seven letters to the churches in Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum. Oh boy, I launched out. Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Those are names of churches by virtue of the names of the cities that needed that revelation of the day of the Lord that was coming and in some small d senses were coming before the great day. Jesus is jealous over the identity of the church. It's his church and he calls them to regions and cities. Our primary calling is not to the ethereal world of digital media. So we're always projecting and going beyond and outside our locality where the local church is like the hope of the world. I'm I'm personally completely unimpressed with everything else. I want to see real church, people of spirit and grit and love for the Lord and full of love and sacrifice for him and for the poor and for the people of our region who need Jesus and who themselves are part of our growth when we fish them and clean them and disciple them. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is where we're going. My church, Jesus says. I'll build, I will build my church. In order to, let's say, harmonize ourselves with Jesus so that even when we're working hard to build the church, which we are called to do, it's really he building it through us. Did you like that grammar? I said he and not him. I probably was wrong. We want to be in harmony with him, with his wisdom from the word, with his spirit and presence to build his church his way so that it's ultimately he building his church and not we're building it for him like we do and then we ask him to bless what we've done. I used to say often that revival is when God visits the houses that we build. But a spiritual revolution is when he abides in the house that he builds. When I was eight years old, I remember it like it was yesterday. My dad came. May his memory be blessed. He died just months ago. My dad came to me when I was eight years old and explained to me something I had no grid for. I'm leaving and I'm going to live somewhere else. It was devastating. That's it's 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 marked in my brain as a memory. It's very fresh. Eight years old. So that means I was that was 30 years ago. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's actually almost half a century ago. Um. And so I just thought, you know, I didn't understand the way those things worked. I thought that um, I thought that I'd never see him again. He was my best friend. <clears throat> and so then I heard that I'm going to spend Saturdays with him. And I, because I didn't know that, so that was news. That was very good news. It's like, oh, I I get to see my dad every every Saturday. That's awesome. And then later it became less frequent per month, but we'd spend the whole weekend, whatever. But it's called visitation rights, right? I didn't know about that. I was very happy. So that was a a bit of a comfort and a little restoration of joy. But how many people know that um, fathers aren't supposed to merely visit their children? Our constant cries for mere revival, which is visitation, is virtually a divorce mentality. We build the house and then God visits. I say let's let Jesus build his house so that God the Father can just live with his children. 
You want presents? Build the house. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Build the abode, and God will live there. Build the wrong kind of, of abode, and God will visit. He's gracious. He loves his children. But we're, it's not meant to be that way. We, we should just, just ditch the divorce mentality and build a house that God abides in. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll be very, very special. And I'm telling you, I feel like I got a taste of it among you this morning. I'm telling you, I felt just a, a, few, just a few tastes of presence that were unusual to me and were slightly intimidating. I'm not joking. It's like, oh, it wasn't that sweet. It's like, oh, it wasn't all just sweet. There was, some, there was someone holy in our midst, and I was a little concerned at times. <clears throat> right? I mean, Isaiah was probably a pretty holy man. He wasn't a guy that probably, you know, spent his evenings at the local bar cussing it up and telling bad jokes. He was a holy prophet. But when he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I mean, seriously, how unclean were his lips compared to us? But in the presence of Yahweh, holy, holy, holy. This is what you're signing up for. Presence. I started to get a little overwhelmed, and then you started to sing, we want to be overwhelmed by your presence. I'm like, not naturally. No, I don't want to be overwhelmed the way this is feeling. Have you ever had that happen? I've had it happen where I, ran, I literally ran out of the room once, my basement in Wisconsin where I was praying years ago. The presence of God filled that place. I'm like, wow, awesome. And then it kept filling, and I'm like, see ya. I don't know or care how unholy that makes me sound or unspiritual because it's probably true. It's, yeah, you know. But there was a point, it's like, I, I just can't do this. <laughs> like, running from the Lord? Look, <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> At first, it was like, Shandai. You know, there was that Garden of Eden feeling. It was like cool, and the air was crisp kind of deal. And then the, you know, those settling sounds houses make? <laughs> started happening like a lot and the, the intensity rose and my heater I had going because I'm in Wisconsin I'm down in the ground you know in my house basement the heater goes off and then this presence just continues to fill and I'm like I'm you know begging for mercy I'm sorry and I just went upstairs Terribly, terribly embarrassing. I've, and that was, that's all it was. I didn't see anything. It just was that sense of this Holy Spirit intensifying his presence. But it's God. It's not that he's not good. There's no one gooder. There's no one more kind or patient or gentle or life-giving. It's like a moth around the flame, drawn to the light and to the pain. That's what one songwriter put it like. It's like... He's good and he's patient and he's kind and he's life-giving, but he's still God. He doesn't fit in the room. He's overwhelming and awesome. This is the one to whom we've pledged our lives. There's a combination of joy and trembling, just like the disciples that saw him and then ran to tell others. They, they were afraid and they were very happy. And I'm telling you, if you really want his presence, you're going to have to get used to a very wide array of emotions. Some, maybe many of which you have yet to feel. There's no one like him. On our way to this declaration, upon this rock I'll build my church, Jesus defines that it happens in the context of signs. Don't you know, he asked the Pharisees and Sadducees, or excuse me, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? We want to be adept at discerning the signs. Now, there are certain things that are always applicable. We love Jesus. 
We're consecrated to him. We want to be his people. We want to preach his gospel. We want to make disciples. But we've got to be that beautiful in our season. It's always the basics of scripture, but being the beauty of our identity within our season. It's very, very important. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about seasons and everything's beautiful in its season. We shine a certain way in our season. Even though we're doing the basics, always. We want just the Bible. We're not looking for new doctrines. We don't treat prophecy on the same level as the scriptures. We want to do what the Bible tells us to do. We want the Jesus of this book, and we want to be the people of this book, but we want to be beautiful in our season. You're in season. You're not dull like the Pharisees and Sadducees, but their dullness still gives us an occasion to be reminded about the season that we're in. There are, there are tokens and signs of a season of favor upon your lives. This transition, the surprise 100-year birthday, these are significant signs and moments and statements from the Lord. Recognize your season. The name of the building and its prophetic significance, even though we give secondary or tertiary importance to that, right? God in city, that's our identity. But still, we recognize the meaning and the importance and the, the, the interest of being the church of, what is it, in the armory of, at? There was a preposition at the church at the armory and the, the storage of uh, weapons and the preparation, uh, you know, for war and battle and, and this kind of imagery. These are signs of the times. It's, it's important. It's good. And it's true. We recognize that. And what God did to get you here. Right. The, the, these are, you know, not superficial things, but it's a big deal that things sold and you're debt free. And that's a big deal. And it's, it's function, right, over trying to impress people or whatever, even though it's fine with me. I, I love a building like this myself. But anyway, these are signs. God's doing something in your midst. The, the, the fingerprints of God are around here. And his footprints are on the ground. Right? And even, even the journey of the past 100 years, and maybe even the past seven or eight. Very significant testings through which we come like pure gold. Come on. Come on. These are signs of the fingerprints and the footprints of God. Discern the times. He's saying, I want my kind of church in El Dorado. Yes. I don't want anything typical or traditional. Wherever there's anything of value in traditions and What's typical? Fine. We're, we don't throw baby out with bathwater or all that. That's a little bit of a dramatic analogy if you ever think about it. Sorry. We don't throw everything out. But we're not defined by that. We're defined by him and by his word. Amen? Yeah. And he's saying urgently, I want my kind of people here. Not just typical, charismatic, Pentecostal, evangelical. With all their things that they do and all the things they say. I want Jesus people. Yeah. People that bear a strong family resemblance in character and wisdom and power and love and compassion. Jesus people that you can't fit into a box. You can't live with them. You can't live without them. They're the Jesus people. They're indestructible. They're meek. They're lambs. They're lions. We don't know what to say, but they're awesome and whatever. We, that's the people he wants here. Because the signs are pointing to that. I'm telling you, the signs are pointing to that. And may I be a sign to that as well, right now. But it's not only that. We're living in turbulent times. The recent invasion, and it was, a, it, was a, it was an invasion that's unprecedented in recent times in the land of Israel. The, those are Bible events. When things described in scripture happen in your day, with hostages being taken, captives, bloodshed in the land of Israel, and that reverberates 
to our shores. In our cities, there's support for that event. Publicly declared. These are turbulent times. These are signs that things are happening. We're in a certain kind of season. And on top of everything else, after we had this, the, 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 the trauma in our nation, the, the, the events that caused raci- further racial division. And then right after that, the pandemic. And all of that creating a culture of offense and division and propaganda war from side to side. Instead of getting relief from that, we now have further division now with one side supporting terrorists. These are turbulent times. They're significant signs. There's turbulence in the Western church now. We're rocking and reeling from recent events. There are things happening at the same time. To me, it's no mistake that you're relaunching during all of this happening. Because God has need of us in our cities. I had, I, I, I had a dream one night a few weeks ago. It's irrelevant to my point. You don't need to hear about the dream. Really, it's insignificant. But the fact of the dream was significant. I had a dream. I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about recent events in the church. And it disturbed me. I was already disturbed. I was already walking around my house feeling like someone had died. I was grieving for the church. I always do anyway. Every day. And then only heightened recently. And then I have this dream. So I'm asking the Lord, was this even from you? And if so, why? And what does it mean? And here's what I got back. You ever, have, you ever ask the Lord a question and he doesn't answer your question, but he answers you? <laughs> Jesus, you zig, he zags. I'm like, was this from you? And what exactly does it mean? And he said, these weren't the exact words because he didn't speak words to me. It was impressions, but it was clear and fairly easy to translate. He said, Jesus movement. I've called you to help serve the Jesus people. We need people who are like Jesus in our world. We need the church to look like Jesus. That's the way he was answering me. He says, you want the answer to all this turbulence in history and on a global level? You want, this, you want an answer to what's, what's happening in the church with, this, with this, this pain and this controversy happening in the, in the church now? Do, do you want to know what that signifies as far as you're concerned? Work, do your job. Do your job for Jesus' people. I will build my church. That's what these things are saying, but they're saying it with a fresh vigor. I don't want new revelation on top of scripture. I want scripture revealed in my heart with vigor, with a fresh anointing within the context of the signs of the times. And this is what the signs are pointing to. It's your time to be the Jesus people. Jesus people, we follow him, we love him, we're founded upon him, we are his people, we're his tribe, we're marked by him. We're not trying to conform ourselves to the image of church as usual, to our traditions. Well, you got to have this. You have to have this kind of pastor, and you have to have this kind of facility, and you have to... Look, we're people. We need to be effective if you take all the trappings away. If we announce next week we're folding everything physical, I'm not saying you should, But if we're so not identified with our building, the question must remain, can we exist without it? Or does everybody just go somewhere else? Instead of just saying, well, we know what to do. We we pray, prophesy, break bread, preach the gospel, make disciples. That's just what the people do. We know how to do that. It's sure convenient for some things to have a building. But can you do it without a building? Because if you can't, then you need to find out what the church is and be that. In my view... The signs of the times are pointing to that people. So if you're relaunching in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll relaunch this way. Jesus tells 
these Pharisees and Sadducees. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign to prove what's already been signified. And a sign will not be given to it except the sign of Jonah. It's hard not to preach every line here, but Jonah's the one who had a call and ran away from it. And so there's a little insinuated rebuke to the religious Jews of Jesus' day. You're running from your call. This is not what God intends for his people. You see the the comparison? This is the way you've defined the people of God. I'm about to build my church. But you'll get the sign of Jonah because Jesus will ultimately make up for the Jonah mistake. He'll, He'll fulfill the Jewish mandate and one day all Israel will be saved, but also give us an example of fulfilling the call. So then at the end of verse 4, he left them and went away. Another little hint of judgment. So if we're going to be the church that Jesus builds, we want to recognize the times. Amen? That's point number one. Point number two out of 50. Just kidding. I just have a few. Just a few. Point number two, if we want to be the people that Jesus builds, we must beware the leaven. So what verse did I leave off on? Verse 5, the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now you understand now he's talking with his tribe now. These are his disciples. These are his people. And he's telling them to watch out for the same leaven that he just rebuked. Right? Now in my heart, in my view, there's no danger of that here among us in a sense. There's no Pharisee or Sadducee spirit here. I, I Personally, it's my opinion. I'm not God, but just my view is I'm not coming from that point of view. This is awesome, this church. But we must always beware yeah. because yeah. the tendency is not just those religious people. It's the tendency of the flesh. Yeah. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that little bit of, of that yeast that then once it, it only has to start a little bit and then it spreads, that, that religion that puts on a presentation of being spiritual while not really being Jesus' people on the inside. The leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees is not just that tendency, but the promotion of that tendency. So we, we build the facade that makes us look like we're a church when in fact we're not the church that he builds. And we get good at building it that way. So all you have to do is have an attendance culture rather than actually being the substance of God's people. Internally toward one another and externally toward our world. The church has become masterful at this. Making it look spiritual on the outside. And that's what the controversy is. It looks so holy on the outside. But what's going on behind closed doors? Something different. That's the leaven of religion. Where you can build something that looks spiritual, but it's not. And we don't even know the difference. It could go on for decades before anyone discerns it. What in the world? It took Peter two seconds to see the disparity between Ananias and Sapphira's presentation of being generous while actually being selfish. They wanted to be selfish but look generous. And in an environment like that apostolic church, it's like, no, we see that. But we're like, wow, this has been going on that long? Wow. Takes us two decades and then we barely come to it. Took Peter two seconds. We've gotten good at the disparity between our public face and our private reality. We've gotten good at it. Not just doing it. We're good at it. Jesus comes up to the tree because from a distance, it's in full leaf. It looks alive. But when he comes close, no figs. No fruit. It looks spiritual and alive from a distance. But get up close, and the Lord with fiery eyes says, I don't see fruit. Cursed be this fig tree. You might fake them out, but you don't fake the master out. And he pronounces upon it a curse. And it wasn't even the season of figs. But he still demanded it. Right? If we're going to be in season and be his people... 
Always beware the leaven that divides between the public look of being a church, which we've become masters at, and the private reality of having a heart throbbing with prayer and worship and holiness and love for one another. People who are real, they're not fake. Gatherings, when appropriate, in the appropriate way, there's actually confession of sin. And there's love. And there's accountability. And there's praying and prophesying and exhorting. And there's actually discernments of spirits where we judge the prophecies. Instead of just getting sucked into what anybody ever says online. I'm telling you, trust me. I know some of those guys. It's not as powerful as it looks. We need the reality in the local church. Not the presentation. Be where the leaven that empowers us to look like one thing when we're in fact before God something different. He's, he's warning his best friends here, his closest comrades, you all beware the leaven. Don't secretly be serving yourselves, but looking like you're all servant-oriented to the world. What does he mean in verse 7? We didn't, we didn't bring the bread. Is that what he's referring to? This is so rich because it's coming off the heels of twice recently in this narrative. He fed 5,000, 4,000 people. It was this big feast to constitute the people. The people feast. They feast on the Lord when they're fasting. And they feast on a meal. It's called the Lord's Supper when they're not fasting. So he was already working to develop his people. So this issue of bread, and the idea of bread in the wilderness is very important. And he says, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you don't have bread? Don't you understand? Don't you remember the five loaves of the 5,000? How many baskets you picked up? The seven loaves of the 4,000? How many large baskets you picked up? I'm not concerned about bread. How is it that you don't understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven. He just repeats himself, so I imagine he's being a little bit more demonstrative. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, verse 12. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of that communication that empowers you to put on one holy face for everyone else while living an unholy life on the inside. That's the teaching. It empowers people to do that. The Pharisees were masters at it in terms of looking religiously pious while on the inside, Jesus said, they're dead men's bones and they're just feasting, taking advantage on all the people they're impressing. They're even devouring the houses of widows. They're they're the opposite of Yahweh religion on earth, but boy, do they look it. And then the Sadducees were the political power people. It's all self-serving. It's all for public face. None of it is deeply connected or connected when it's hypocritical, connected to God at all. And Jesus says, beware you disciples that this happened to you. Always beware of this. Constituting the true church is being on guard against what we're not. We're not fakes, we're real. We we have to be countercultural, guys. Our culture is image-based. Image-based. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I can't believe it. This one great preacher after he dies. Oh, what a double life. It's the opposite of the church of Jesus Christ. This disparity and this hypocrisy. We have to guard against it. We, we have to love the real, love the authentic. If you have sin, confess it. Get help. Stop trying to fake it. It doesn't help anybody. Leaven grows. It spreads. What, this is one of the major burdens that I carry these days. It's not just what's recently happening. It's the state we're in that it's been happening for so long. How have we created an environment where we can empower a disparity between our public proclamation and our private lives? Well, we've done it. 
Jesus says, beware of doing that. I'm telling you, this relaunch is in season. Be countercultural. Be real. If, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then there's an effective blood washing of our sins. We're we're not just forgiven, but the blood is the power to transform. You see how that happens? I mean, literally there in 1 John 1, he's teaching us how to relaunch a church. Be real! Walk in the light! Then you have fellowship. Now you have a church. That's church planting. It's being authentic. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Then you have fellowship. Then the blood changes lives. I'm telling you, this leaven, we have to beware. I choketh not. We've become masters of being inauthentic. And scripture screams the opposite. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Lord, have mercy on us. Now, of course, we're discreet. We don't announce to the whole church our worst sins, but we have to be transparent with comrades who can help us and pray us through and see us healed and get us back on our feet and surround us with love. But you understand we have to be discreet, but at the same time, we have to be real. For Jesus to build his church, we have to recognize that the signs of the times, we must beware the leaven. And then we must, well, we must know the king. I prayed that the Lord would give me grace to make much of Jesus today.